Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Now, um, James, what made you come to Save With Conrad in the first place? Um, I needed a refi. Uh, I've been listening to Conrad's show for a couple of years. It was it was very you know it was very competitive uh, with what I was seeing locally and with my current lender. So I just decided to throw my business at Conrad. Was there anything specific that Conrad said on the shows that kind of made you take that first step? Interest rates are historically low, and two months without a mortgage payment seemed a really good deal. Um, off the top of your head, how much money were you able to save uh, through Save with Conrad? Man, I don't know what what the overall savings going to be. I, I needed the cash out to cover some other um, other uh, outstanding debts and the, the rate I dropped, I was able to drop the rate down by almost a point and um, basically keep my same payment but cash out enough to cover those outstanding debts and uh, have a little uh, left over for a rainy day. Oh, that's and great. It's pouring down rain here. Would you recommend Save with Conrad to any of your friends or family? Oh, sure. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Just peachy by God, you know, hey, just another day in the neighborhood, just, uh, you know, getting up about one or two o'clock in the afternoon, hanging out for about three or four hours, have some dinner and then going to bed. Sure, sure, sure. Well, listen, we appreciate you making time to uh, catch up here on a Sunday. Had to call an audible. Our plan was to crank out Hacksaw Jim Duggan for you guys this past Friday, but Duty called. So, uh, I jumped into the archive. <laughs> he said duty over at adfreeshows.com and put together three little bonus pieces of content that we've never aired here on the main feed, including ending the undertaker streak, uh, the main event of in your house, final four from 1997. And of course the main event from WrestleMania 17 rock Austin. Uh, but today we're back on track, man. Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. I guess we'll just, uh, start at the beginning. When did you first meet Hacksaw? Man, the first time that I met Duggan was when we were finishing up. It had to be 82, maybe, um, maybe 83, but, but I think it was 82 ish when 
Buck Rovley was booking Southwest Championship Wrestling and brought Duggan in as kind of the um, the answer to Bruiser Brody and, and the anti-Bruiser Brody in many ways. And Duggan was this kind of young, raw talent from New York came in and the whole gimmick with him at the beginning was that you would introduce him as, you know, weighing in at 275 pounds from Glens Falls, New York, Hacksaw Jim Dugan. And then he would correct you, go, that's Duggan, two G's, D-U-G-G-A-N, Duggan, tough guy. And that was, you know, that would go around the corn and the whole thing was mispronounce his name so that he could correct you. But uh, I remember, you know, him coming in and Robley being Robley. They would have a bunch of beer in the locker room and shit like that, which was kind of frowned upon with Paul Bosch. Paul wasn't a drinker and he didn't like, you know, guys drinking in the dressing room unless it was after the show and or if it was Andre or Harley Race. So, um, you know, it was... It was weird, and, and I remember uh, Duggan just being a, a wild, just kind of a wild, raw talent at the time. And then um, Brody left. Duggan, I think, went to Atlanta for a fucking cup of coffee. And the next thing you know, he was uh, with Mid-South in, with Bill Watts. But the... Um, the thing with Doug and I, I'm sure I've told the story before with, with Frank Brody. We shot this huge angle where Brody was blinded by Duggan and Buck Robley. And when Brody came back for the big rematch for his big return, he had a had a hair up his ass for whatever reason and didn't want to work. He was mad at Paul. He was mad at uh, Robley. And Robley was managing Brody. At the time. So here Duggan is two out of three fall match. And it's the big return. Everybody's expecting Brody to come out and kick Duggan's ass. And Brody hits the ring and won't do shit. And Duggan's trying everything under the sun, trying to get Brody to go. And Brody's not selling anything, not doing anything. He's just in. And finally, Buck Robley, who's down there, goes, beat the shit out of him. Just beat the shit out of him. And Duggan is throwing everything at Brody. And Brody wasn't, wasn't selling it until finally Brody just crossed his arms in the middle of the ring, sat down, crisscross applesauce, laid down, and uh, Duggan covered him, one, two, three. And Brody just sat back up and crossed his arms. And Buck Robley was pleading with Bruiser Brody. Come on, please, Frank. We'll we'll settle it later. Just please do something. Paul Bosch was beside himself. He was doing commentary, and even he got off the microphone and was slapping the mat trying to get Brody's attention. Uh, but that was that was early hacksaw Jim Dugan. But it was really Duggan with two G's. Of course, he's born January 14th, 1954, Glen Falls, New York. Uh, and then I guess that's actually not just his cafe, but his actual hometown. He's a star athlete there in high school, letters in football, basketball, track and wrestling. Uh, and I think back in like 73, he set a shot put record that may still stand today. 
Uh, when he's a high school senior, he wins the state championship in wrestling in the unlimited weight class, making him the first person ever from Glenn falls to accomplish that. And he actually goes undefeated that year. And the guy he beat for the title goes on to win the Pan Am games later that year. His dad was the police chief there and he's recruited to play football, uh, by Ohio state, but winds up choosing Southern Methodist university instead. He's voted the uh, team captain there. And when he wraps up his collegiate career signs with the Falcons in the NFL, but ultimately finds himself released. Uh, I think he cites some knee injuries there and played some Canadian football. And I guess along the way, probably when he's at SMU, he runs into Fritz von Erich who encourages him to uh, try wrestling one day. But when football finishes up, he decides to call Fritz about getting into pro wrestling and winds up going to the sportatorium. And I think Gary Hart gave Jim his first pair of trunks and he's sort of off to the races and learns how to run the ropes and take some bumps right there at the sportatorium. Did you ever talk to Jim about Fritz helping him out and, and, and showing him the ropes and getting him broke in? You know what? Never, ever did. And I always assumed that he had started somewhere in, uh, upstate New York and came down and, you know, went through the Atlanta stuff. And when Robley found him and then, um, he, he was doing, extra work. He was doing enhancement work for the WWF at the time. And you can go back and on some of those old superstars of wrestling or championship wrestling, you can find old Jim Dugan. Yeah. They're exactly doing, right. doing work. After he uh, spends a little bit of time in world-class, he goes back to New York to visit family. His dad knew Arnold Scollin. So he brings him to join the WWF. And as you said, he winds up working as an enhancement talent for matches against Ken Patera, Sergeant Slaughter and the like. And I think the office at the time wanted him to come up with something maybe a little more flamboyant than just big. Cause that was his name, big Jim, but they, uh, they do decide to send him on the road and, and show him how to learn to wrestle, including, uh, they send him to Hawaii to work with Peter Mavia. Of course we know the rock's grandfather and Jim wrestles there as the convict and wears a mask. Uh, and that's where of course he would meet a very young rock once upon a time and I think he's only making like 30 bucks a week wrestling there, but he does meet a lifelong friend, Haku. And, uh, I guess if you're looking for a friend, when you're trying to cut your teeth and wrestling, Haku's probably about as good as it's going to get, huh? Yeah, I would, I would just, uh, ride those coattails if I could. If he was making 30 bucks a week, he was probably on top there. <laughs> After he leaves Hawaii, as you said, briefly goes to Georgia championship wrestling. Wrestles Ted DiBiase a few times. And of course, uh, Jim says that taught him a lot, but he doesn't last. Ole Anderson didn't get along with him, but I don't know who Ole got along with now that I think about it. So Jim winds up leaving, goes to Pensacola and, uh, starts working there. Uh, while he's in that territory, it's Robert Fuller's. Of course, that's where he makes the, the bruiser Brody buck low buck Robley relationship. Uh, and he winds up going back to the, uh, San Antonio territory. And that's where he becomes hacksaw Jim Duggan. And he would say that his old pal Brody is the person who told him to start carrying a two by four with him because Jim is a heel. And when you're a heel, you want to walk to and from the ring, obviously. But if you're doing your good, if you're doing a good job on the way back, things may get a little tough. So if you carry a two by four, you can use it as a weapon if you need be. And Brody would cite that that's the reason he carries a chain because when he's a bad guy, 
you know, so he can clear the, uh, clear the aisle way. I got to tell you in my research, that sort of stood out to me. I, I never assumed that the two by four was not sort of a much later creation and that Brosie would Brody would have suggested it just to work your way back. Yeah. It was something for a big man to do. And it was something also to give him a weapon, but you know, I don't, you would be hard pressed and I don't, I can't think of anybody, um, that would ever say a bad word about Duggan. Uh, he was just one of those, He's one of those guys is a super nice human being in general. So guys wanted to help him guys, you know, would go out of their way to help him. And even when Jim got a taste of the good life, so to speak, he didn't change. He was still just Jim Duggan. And so I could see, yeah, definitely Brody and all along the way, people were always trying to help him create and make his character a little bit better and larger than life. Well, the big break, as you said, does come in mid South, uh, in 1982, that's when he moves to mid South to work for bill Watts and Jim had the same experience. Everybody does in that territory he said it was rough. Said he'd wrestle 10 times in a seven day period, but he did say he learned more about the business there and how to work and how to talk than anywhere else. When he comes in and debuts as a heel and, um, He's eventually going to become part of the, the rap pack faction, Ted DiBiase, Matt Bourne, and Mr. Olympia. And after Hacksaw Butchery debuts in mid South, of course, there's an instant feud here about who is the true Hacksaw and the rats also feuded with stars like Reed and Magnum and JYD. And a lot of times we would see Duggan interfere in a DiBiase JYD match while wearing a gorilla suit <laughs> during the Louisiana state fair. Causing JYD to lose a loser leaves town match. And after DiBiase aligned himself with Skandar Akbar, Duggan refused to go along with him and became a face for the first time in his career. Talk to me a little bit about the rat pack. This is, um, we, we don't know it, but this group of guys is going to go on to be a big set of stars for Vince McMahon one day. Yeah, they, they, they would. And it was. Kind of, you're coming off of the Freebirds in a, in a three-man team of Michael Hayes, Buddy Roberts, and Terry Gordy. And the Rat Pack, my recollection, I'm, I think Olympia was a part of it for a short time, but it was DiBiase, Matt Bourne, and Duggan. Right. Um, it was three guys that could interchange, and they had their individual programs, but they also had the tag team program as well. So... It was three guys, two of them especially, that could work in Matt Bourne and Ted DiBiase. And then you had Duggan, who was the brawler and, you know, the big bodyguard, for lack of a better term. And it was a place for Duggan to be in a group and learn. Because he, he still was a little rough around the edges. It's still green. But, man, he had that charisma out the ass and size and look and everything else that, you put him, you know, sticking with DiBiase. DiBiase is going to teach him to work and kind of teach him the ropes, so to speak. So it was a a heel faction that had great workers in it, and eventually they all spun out. Matt went his way, and DiBiase and Duggan kind of spun out into each of 
into the program with each other that lasted seemingly forever. Um, the rest, as I say, is history. Talk to us about Jim Duggan as a heel. I mean, I'll be honest. I can't imagine ever even seeing that. He's always been USA my whole life. So I, it's hard for me to imagine bad guy, Jim Duggan. Oh, he's a great heel because he was a big, tough bastard and he could go out there and fight and brawl with the best of him. So when you have hacksaw, Jim Duggan against junkyard dog, dog was a national institution in Louisiana and in the mid South and Duggan could give him a run for his money as a heel. Duggan was believable that hacksaw Jim Duggan could do damage to JYD. So people believed it and he was easy to hate. Um, big, mean, nasty, not the prettiest guy in the world. And then after JYD left and, uh, you really needed that top baby face to, come out of the woodwork, so to speak. And, and Duggan was right there. Duggan was the man. No doubt about it to me. I mean, we know what he's capable of with, uh, with the WWF. And when you go back and you watch his mid South stuff. And the first time I saw it was probably, I don't know, maybe 97 when I first started tape trading. And I would hear a lot about his matches with DiBiase and it's just weird to see these guys sort of pre WWF gimmick, but it is a different style of wrestling. If we've got maybe some younger fans who aren't familiar with, uh, the style of wrestling that Bill Watts enjoyed. Could you sort of smarten us up and tell us how the presentation was different from maybe what Vince McMahon put on? Well, kind of like, and I think that in general, those that work the Texas territory, Dallas, Houston, um, I want to throw San Antonio in there because they had a little bit different that theirs was a little more a uh, Hispanic based and a little bit more geared towards the luchas, but they, uh, I, they were in there, but bill watch Houston, it was a big man territory where you had to be big in stature to get over. And it wasn't someplace. It wasn't a high spot territory. It wasn't a lot of bumps being taken at the time. And it was more of a rough and tough, a stiffer, style of wrestling where so much so that bill Watts in particular would always point out New York and, and other territories where it's like, Hey, we don't have these mamby pamby little wrestlers. We have men, we have men wrestling here. And by God, these men hit each other. And it was all about how tough the business was. So the, the talent worked a lot stiffer and it, it was, it was tough to do the work, <laughs> you know, nine, 10 times a week, especially with that style. But Duggan was able to do it. He's a tough guy. He was able to dish it out and he was able to take it. Really. If you've never seen any of his mid South work, I can't recommend it enough. The WWE put a DVD out. I don't know, probably six or seven years ago, but there's a bunch of stuff on the network now, but now that he's here and uh, he's a, a newly minted good guy. He's going to win the Mid-South Tag Team titles with Magnum TA and later win the North American Heavyweight title, which is a gargantuan belt. Uh, after the Mid-South North American title is retired, when Mid-South becomes the UWF in 86, Duggan would lose to Terry Gordon in a tournament finale to determine the Terry first... Terry Gordon? Did I say Terry Gordon? You did. That's like Michael B.S. Haynes and 
uh, old buddy Rogers and Terry boom, boom, Gordon. You know, that's how I know me and you've been hanging out too long because I think I would have said Michael Haynes right there too. Just Michael BS Haynes. Yeah. BS. Uh, he didn't say he wasn't doot, doot, doot. He was boot, boot, boot or coot, coot, coot. He, he might've even been tooting too. I don't know. I mean, oh, there you go. Mike. Oh, Michael BS toot, toot beans. Uh, during a match with one man gang gang would ram Jim's head into the ring post, but there's a bolt sticking out of the post. It pretty much goes right into Jim's head. Uh, he's still got an indentation in his skull from that. And he's still got to wrestle again later that night against Terry Bam Bam Gordon. Uh, and then he was, he was the cousin of Terry boom, boom, Gordon. Yeah. Boom, boom. My bad. Uh, they're in different dressing rooms. So Terry didn't know how bad Jim was hurt, but they worked the match anyway. And eventually Jim would team up with, uh, Terry Taylor and win the UWF world tag team titles for the second time. Uh, but then it all starts to come to a head. He's going to lose a loser leaves town match to the one man gang. And he leaves the UWF. For the WWF talk to us a little bit about where Duggan was on the cards when this happens. So I guess as a backstory, maybe you should explain what's the difference between mid South and the UWF, the name and Vince, uh, had the world wrestling federation and what's bigger than the world is the universe. And that was bill Watts's philosophy of, oh, they're going to have the world and we'll have the universe. And Bill felt that he should compete with WWF since WWF was trying to compete with him. Um, you know, dur- during Duggan's run, Duggan had such a hell of a run in Mid-South and UWF, and he was a, a top guy. I think his most notable program was with Ted DiBiase. And as I said before, they, they had – Worked so many times in so many different matches. Every match, it it became a running joke uh, at the office in Houston because we would get the cards handwritten by Jim Ross. And Jim had to have a description for every fucking match on the card. Um, It was like a special challenge match or a uh, whatever. And... DiBiase and Duggan had been through every gimmick match that there was. I mean, everything under the sun. You name it, we'd have it. Right. And we would joke when we would wait for the cards to come in and talk about it and go, God damn, what, what are we going to have this, you know, next week to promote? What What is that going to be? Is it going to be a, a fucking possum on a pole thing? And get the card. And this was an actual match that we had. It was a Texas death. Loser leave town. Coal miner glove on a pole. Both men dressed in tuxedos. (laughs) Inside of a solid steel cage. Now, I think we might have had either might have been in that. I don't know if we had. The, I don't think we had the loser painted yellow in that, but we did have a loser <laughs> gets painted yellow in, in, in there along the way. But we had at least five gimmicks. I, I'm going to go through and find the uh, find the program so I can put it up there because it was like the headline 
trying to promote the match was every gimmick match you could possibly think of in tuxedos in a cage. Was the Loser leave town, Texas death, how coal miners glove on a, on a fucking pole, both men dressed in tuxedos inside of a steel cage and yeah, losing that. I'm like, what the fuck? By the time you get all the stipulations out, you're done in a two hour show. And we had that match that was for uh, Teddy to go to Japan at one point. And um, it just was, <laughs> it was insanity, just some of the different things that we did. But that went on and on, and Duggan was just such a huge, huge fucking draw. The the night that you're talking about with one man gang, I'm I'm three feet from him when Duggan's head went into the post, and there's a you know look, you get potatoed and you react different way with a potato than you do when someone's throwing a working punch or whatever. But Duggan hit that post, man, and there was that the thud and the, Oh shit. And he just reached up and grabbed his head and we got him to the back. And when we did the, the doctor didn't want to let him go out and work the next match. Cause he still had another match to go. And we didn't want to stitch him up because probably get busted open in the next match as well. Doug was like, fuck it. I'm, I'm going out. You couldn't stop him. Right. Then from there, you know, they finally got him stitched up, and uh, I don't think that he and or the doctor that did the stitching, I don't think they cleaned it up enough because then it got infected. But Duggan didn't miss any days. He just kept going with this big infected head and this, this nasty knot and just every night going out and beating the shit out of each other, me and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So, of course, Watts loved that shit. God damn, yeah, that's good shit. You know, he fucking going out here and working. Yeah, my guys are tough. They're not pussies that take off for a hangnail. This guy got 7,000 stitches in his head. <laughs> and he fucking uh, sewed it up and went to the next town. And it's like, most people are sitting there going, holy fuck. He shouldn't be up, much less going and, and having wrestling matches. But... That's who Duggan was. And in, in, in the middle of all this shit, I remember he got his, uh, got a tour of Japan and he was going to go over to Japan, but they were going to fly him from Houston. So his last date was on a Friday night in Houston. Then he was going to leave on a Saturday. And I think it was a three or a four week tour. Um, and then come back and Duggan and I were friends and he asked if, he could leave his car in my place. Jim had a real nice uh, Lincoln Continental with like wire rim hubcaps. So I went and met him uh, out at the Sheraton or wherever in Intercontinental Airport and uh, saw him off to Japan and took his car and took it back to my place. Well, I lived in a townhouse complex and it was like you had to have a code to get into the complex right. and, and park, you know, I had a gate around it and all this shit. So I think it's pretty safe, right? I park it down along the back, the back gate and all this shit. And one night I'm home with a buddy of mine 
and we were um, we were partaking in some fine herbal remedies when I get a knock on the door and I look through the peephole and it's a police officer. Oh no. Oh yeah. And I'm like, fuck. But the longer I stare at it, I realize I think that's my neighbor. Cause the, he lived at the, at the end of the, the row of townhouses. And so <laughs> I like open up the door and I like, go right outside. I don't open the door, leave it open or ask him to come in for obvious reasons. And I just bolt out the door. Hey man. Yeah. What's going on? He says, uh, Hey Bruce, um, is that your car, man? With the Louisiana plates on it. Uh, cause I think I saw you driving it the other day. So no, no, it's a, it's, it's a buddy of mine and he's in Japan. I told him I would watch his car for a couple of weeks and he says, ah, he goes, watch well, us caught two kids trying to steal his hubcaps. I'm like, well, motherfucker. So they had jumped the fence. They, they'd seen the, the car there with the hubcaps and shit. And just so happened, cops coming home from work, pulls up on them. They fucking take off. And I go like an idiot, stoned out of my mind. Um, with the cop to go look for the other friend. <laughs> and we go, we're like driving along, man. I'm not, we're not even, I, I bet you we're probably two or three streets over. And I said, Hey man, we should like drive along the ditch. Cause the fuckers probably not, uh, not going to be walking the streets. And he pulls down this little ditch area. And sure enough, man, there's this fucking kid with a paper bag. All right. And he goes, I guarantee you that's him, man. He goes, I bet you he's got the hubcaps in, in the bag. And the other kid that he caught is in the back. And I jump out of the car and take off trying to chase this motherfucker down. Now, I wasn't in the kind of shape I'm in now. I was actually in pretty fucking good shape at the time. But I'm stoned out of my mind. And that's not a good recipe trying to run when your lungs are full of something else. And plus, this kid, he had to be like a fucking sprinter or something, or a long-distance runner or something. And he takes off. And I mean, there's a good, I'm not, there had to be at least, he had 20, 30 yards on me and gain, you know, like the gaps getting bigger all the way down. Um, next thing I know, I look up and the fucking cop with the other kid in it had like pulled down in front of us and pulled across and he gets out, it does nothing. And the fucking kid stops. And I'm just. <gasps> <laughs> Motherfucker. And when we get there. And I grab the fucking kid. And throw him up against the car. And this guy's like. Easy. Easy. But we got the fucking. All the hubcaps back. And I had to tell Jim that. Hey. Your hubcaps got stolen man. We had a major crime scene in my house. 
I went in pursuit. And of course, I told Jim about how I chased him down single handedly and tackled him and got the shit back. Of course. But um, yeah, that was a that was a hell of a fucking night. The whole <laughs> and when we come pulling back, is he's taking me back, and he, of course, he's off work, so he just radioed in. For one of his, for somebody else to come to the apartment complex or the the, the little condos there, to um, to take the the one kid he had, and then we had both of them, and there's fucking Armando standing out just with with my door wide open and uh, and just drugs everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? He goes, man, he goes, fuck, I thought they arrested you, man. And I'm like trying to see what was going on. I'm like, no, shit, man. These guys stole the thing. And I'm trying to explain it to him. And the cops want to come inside my place now. And I'm making every excuse in the world trying to just, nah, we'll get out here, man. I gave my statement. And it was just an interesting night. It's just one of those kind of, Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not every day you get high and go on a police pursuit. <laughs> and jump out of a police car and fucking give chase on foot. Yeah, I'm going to need uh, Chris McDonald to get to work to recreate that uh, Beastie oh, Boys sabotage. Man. So, I mean, and the motherfucker was like, I mean, he wasn't even breathing heavy. Oh, fuck, man, this sucks. Well, Duggan actually makes his way to Vince before you do, right? How do you, how do you hear the news that Duggan is, uh, going to the world wrestling federation? Actually, um, I think Jake actually (laughs) probably told me first, Jake was already up there, but, um, I think Duggan told me because he was, he was going, he asked Bill for a contract and, um, you know, Bill wouldn't, wouldn't budge and kind of thought, I guess Bill thought Duggan was bluffing and Duggan said, he goes, look, I got to do what I got to do. And at that time, everybody was like, fuck yeah, go do it. Take the money. Okay, guys, check this out. I'm excited to tell you about a brand new book called the headlock of destiny. It's a pro wrestling and epic fantasy mashup. Think like Royal rumble meets game of thrones. It's got a ton of kick-ass characters inspired by and almost an homage of the wrestlers of the golden era, you know, like Macho Man, Randy Savage, or Mr. Perfect, Million Dollar Man, Owen Hart, Big Boss Man, so many more. And the Headlock of Destiny imagines these titans wrestling in a fantasy world, beating on each other in front of roaring crowns. It's fast paced, it's a unique tale, and the early reviewers are all raving about it. It follows the story of a beer drinking underdog, a Titan who gets dragged into the headlock of destiny tournament and ends up squaring off with some truly epic ass kickers. The book's got tons of cool Easter eggs thrown in. For example, the hero's first big fight takes place at an arena called the Scott hall. How fun is that? You're going to love this. Imagine if everything in the ring were 100% real and the fate of nations hung on the results. And then imagine if you know, golems and minotaurs and all kinds of crazy shit was climbing into the ring to face off with Titans inspired by like the undertaker or hacksaw, Jim Duggan. You don't have to be a fantasy nerd to love this one. It's just a ton of fun. It's available on Amazon today in paperback and ebook versions. Check it out. I'm telling you, you're going to be glad you did. It's headlock of destiny. You can find it right now on Amazon and it's worth mentioning 
at the creators of this book, man, they're big wrestling fans, just like me and you, they listen to something to wrestle every single week. Uh, so if you like this show, you might dig this book, go check it out on Amazon. I think you'll be glad you did headlock of destiny, two thumbs up, something to wrestle. It's worth mentioning just to add context while the world wrestling federation is the next big thing. These are the dying days of bill Watts as a promoter. Are they not? I mean, towns are down payoffs are down. So when there's a new opportunity, doesn't take a lot of thinking here, does it? Absolutely not. Because this was also during the time that Bill was heavy. So Bill offers contracts to the top guys in the territory. And the contract consists of, okay, this is going to be your guarantee when you work type of situation. It might have been a yearly guarantee. But... It was also during the time that Bill was into Amway. Oh. So you would get, Bill would say, hey, I'd really like to talk to you about your future. And I'd like to talk to you about, are you happy making the money you're making? And of course, your fucking answer is always no. Fuck, you always want to make more money. So, hey, come on by the office and I want to talk to you. We're going to talk about your future because... I see endless potential in you. So what happened is you would go in thinking, oh, fucking hey, man, I'm going to get a raise. I'm going to get a contract. I'm probably going to have guaranteed money. And this is going to be great. And you say, you like working for somebody else? Wouldn't you want to be your own boss? Wouldn't you want to be in control of your own destiny and your own future? And he'd fucking give you that Amway pitch. And he would talk about, look at me. I'm a successful businessman. I've got all this going on, but yet I'm doing Amway. You know why? Because there's no limit to what I can make with Amway. I've got all these things to deal with in the wrestling business, but with Amway, that's what's going to be my meal ticket. And if you're a mid-card guy or a lower-tiered guy, what are you going to do? You're going to write him that fucking check for $75 or whatever it is to get your initial, (laughs) your starter kit of Amway. Oh, my God. And then you're going to order a shitload of product from him. And you're going to start trying to sell Amway. How much Amway did Jim Ross sell back in the day? I have no idea. I, I don't even know. Jim, Jim may have done it. I don't know, but here's the thing. He would have been good at it. Is my point. He's a salesman. He's a salesman. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. He would have been great at it. The, but what happens is, is when you get into that tight knit of a group, they're all selling and selling to themselves. There's no outside. <laughs> there's no outside that they can get to really. So I get wind of this, all right? And DiBiase had been gone for a while, and and Teddy and I always traveled together and and hung out. And Ted says, yeah. He goes, "Uh, you talked to Bill? I said, about what? And he says, I don't know, man. uh," Because Bill had been trying to get me to do this meeting shit. And I would conveniently find ways to get out of it. Again, like, Amway meetings. 
Amway meeting. Yeah. I, well, I knew it was an Amway meeting. He was about my future meeting. Well, my future, I'd already discussed with, with Jim Ross, and I had a good idea what that was. And, and Jim had smartened me up to the Amway thing. And every, well, everybody had by that point. Fucking Eddie Gilbert was knee-deep in the shit. And um, I told Teddy, I said, Teddy, it's, it's the Amway shit. He goes, what? I said, he's going to give us the Amway pitch. That's what he wants to do. Ah, no. So anyway, Bill asks for DiBiase and I, because he knew that we ran together, to have a meeting with him on Saturday morning. We did Houston on Friday night. He was in Houston. He'd stay at the Ramada. He wanted us to come by and have a meeting with him on Saturday morning before we flew to Dallas that night to do TV. And I'm telling Ted the whole time, I'm like, dude, I would... I, I don't want to do it. I've heard it. I'm, and I'm, he's going to get pissed off at me. I'm going to tell him no. And he's going to be mad and all this other shit. And Ted's like, yeah, fuck that, man. Fuck that. And Teddy and I stay out all night on Friday night. And we missed the meeting. Now, we legitimately missed the meeting. We No show, no oh, call. We no showed the fuck out of it. Yeah. Didn't call because we were passed the fuck out. We go to the airport. <laughs> Going to get on our little Southwest or American flight to Dallas. And we come walking down and we're looking everywhere, just praying that Bill took the early flight like he told us he would. I think Bill was on a on like a 10 o'clock or something. That's the thing. We were supposed to meet him at eight o'clock in the morning. And I think he was on a 10 o'clock and we were taking a 12 or a one o'clock. And we come walking down the fucking do 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 And there's somebody with a newspaper all up reading it. And I swear on fucking cue that newspaper comes down and it's bill. Hey kid, where were you this morning? Ah, fuck Bill. Uh, um, we, um, was it this morning, <laughs> you know, type shit. And Teddy started making an excuse and all that shit, but he was pissed. He, he was pissed. And that was the last time that he asked that he asked for the meeting, but he, he got Ted. And so when he got Ted, the idea was Ted would come around and get me. And so Ted comes around to get me and Ted is, is all about the fucking Amway shit. And you know, goddamn, damn Bill Watts is doing it, Bruce. It's, it's gotta be good. I mean, you know, look, look at everything he's got and he's doing Amway. Like I told you that was his spiel. What do you, you're, you're trying to sell ice to the Eskimo here. And it was, yeah, it was, it was brutal, but I never, I never uh, had to sit through the Amway pitch with Bill. He was pissed about it. He was not happy about it. But uh, finally, I told him, and again, he didn't try after that. But I did tell him one day, "Hey, Bill, about the Amway thing, man. I've done it. I'm just not my bag, and I hope you do well. Uh, I know a guy that's done <laughs> that's done well." 
Um, but it's not my bag and I wish you the best, but yeah. Bill and Amway. So the territory, yeah, Duggan got out at the right time. And when Duggan left, it was, it, it was rough going. January of 87 is when uh, I think this happens. And his first major appearance is WrestleMania three. And at the event, he runs to ringside prior to a match between the killer bees and the iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov and interrupts Volkov's pre-match singing of the Russian national anthem. And you come in. Thank you for remembering eat my crotch belongs in that song. Uh, I, I know all the words you, <laughs> you show up to the company, uh, right after WrestleMania three, still very early on in, in Duggan's run. Are you guys riding together at all? Like when you first Duggan in, in WWE. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you're in the same company again with one of your old buddies. Is he somebody you would have, you know, had fun on the road with or not so much? No, cause I was only on the road for TVs when I went to WWE at the time. And that was pretty much, uh, then I was really office corporate shit. Well, let's talk about May 26th, 1987. I guess this is, uh, maybe not just famous, but infamous, depending on how you look at it. It's the arrest of Jim Duggan and the iron sheet, huge deal at the time. Unlike today, wrestling is still very much protected back then. And, uh, good guys and bad guys aren't supposed to be, uh, getting together like this, the bad guys travel with bad guys and good guys travel with good guys. And here we've got two guys who are supposed to be sworn enemies and they're in the same car together. Meltzer would write, as most of you've probably already heard, the biggest news of the week comes from Titan land at 2:20 PM. This past Tuesday afternoon, May 26th, Jim Duggan and the iron Sheik were arrested on drug charges. The two were driving through Middletown, New Jersey en route to a car that night in Asbury park. When state troopers pulled them over as they saw Duggan drinking a bottle of beer while driving while walking to the car, the officers caught the scent of burned marijuana cigarettes. And upon inspection, found several joints in the ashtray of the car. Duggan was found with a small amount of marijuana and three grams of cocaine was found in the Sheik shaving kit. Duggan was released later that day on his own recognizance while Sheik was released after posting $5,000 bond. The two worked against each other later that night in a tag team match, which ended when Duggan hit Sheik several times with a chair leading to the pin. And the incident would get considerable news play in several major cities, including a two page article in the New York daily news, lots of play on the television news in many cities, and even a mention on the national wires and in the USA today, the incident proved to be a major embarrassment for Titan since Duggan and Sheik were in the midst of a heavily pushed feud and came out to the public that they were not only traveling together, but presumably doing drugs together as well. The news reports all state that Duggan and Sheik have been suspended by Titan. Actually, both were fired later the same week. From what I understand, it is highly unlikely that Sheik will ever work for Titan ever again. Ever, never, ever. I presume, although this hasn't been confirmed by anyone, that eventually Duggan will be brought back, although his character will certainly have to be changed. 
mainly because of his potential value to Titans competition, whereas Sheik has little value to opposing offices. Equally embarrassing was the fact that in Duggan's hometown of Glen Falls, New York, they were scheduled to have a Jim Duggan day this week. As many of you know, Duggan's father, Jim Duggan senior is the chief of police. Whew. This was, uh, not too long after you get to town with the world wrestling federation and you're under Vince's wing now. And one of your old pals gets busted here for drugs and his dad's a police chief, which is probably something you can, uh, feel for him about, but also too, he's quote unquote, breaking kayfabe. How fucking pissed was Vince McMahon? He was pretty pissed. And actually I was in Stanford at the time with Paul Bosch and Paul's nephew. Um, we were meeting, going over things, you know, for Houston and the potential of that deal and what have you. Um, I hadn't moved everything up there yet, but I was, I was working technically for Vince at the time. And <laughs> just so much to, to download on that, that it was, it was Duggan. Um, he was, he was in line to, to be, you know, be the man in, in so many respects. So it was disappointing to the rest of the world. The writing together thing probably was, Oh my God, wrestlers ride together. It's like, come on, fucking get over it. Um, and to those inside the wrestling world, the, the stalwarts, the diehards, that was taboo and just absolutely sinful. But I remember as we're getting this news, we were sitting in what was the boardroom at 1055 Summer Street. And Vince is explaining this to us, what's happened and so on and so forth. And that um, he hadn't really made a decision on what he was going to do. And Paul Bosch looks at him and says, well, you, you need to change that ad in your magazine. And it's like, what? Because you need to change that ad in your magazine. And there was a big, just say no to drugs. Oh, Pack saw Jim Duggan in the magazine that month. So it was, hold on one sec. Just say, ho, no, I don't know. It was, but that was the one thing Paul was concerned about was false advertising. Um, we had bigger fish to fry and, and Duggan was gone. So it, it was a, it was a sad day. And I know that Vince was just upset that it got so much national play and it probably got more national play because of the two guys riding together that they picked up on that aspect of the story. And then the rest of the shit as if, you know, it wasn't bad enough that it, it was, Oh, and it was two bad guys. I mean, a good guy and a bad guy. So a little tough. Allegedly it was something that, um, and I might, I mean, I, this might not be accurate, but allegedly he made some sort of vow. Duggan will never work here again or something like that. Did you ever hear that? 
No, but I, you know, I, I could see in the heat of the moment saying something like that, but I've never, I mean, even with the worst of the worst, Vince doesn't say never, you know, you never say never. Let's, um, except with me. (laughs) A lot of folks have, uh, talked about this a ton, but supposedly when Duggan finds out that he's being let go, he seeks the counsel of Jake, the snake Roberts. Have you heard that story? I wouldn't surprise me. Well, I don't know the story uh, in particular. You apparently, have to remind. apparently the story is Jake says, Hey man, everything's going to be okay. Just lay low for a while. And when, when Jake, the snake Roberts is telling you to lay low, you done fucked up, son. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? Well, it's good advice. I would agree. It's good advice. Oh so, my yeah. gosh. It's just, it's just, uh, not sure that's where I would go for advice, but actually I'd go to Jake for advice on some things. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's get back to the story here. Meltzer would the following week report on the Doug and Sheik story. Word going around is that the decisions have been made. Both are fired. And according to my source quote, we'll never work for Titan again. End quote. Apparently the wrestlers have been told that neither name should ever be mentioned on interviews or anything else. I know that immediately everyone will jump to the conclusion that Duggan will rejoin the WWF, but that doesn't seem likely at present. Maybe when his legal situation gets straightened out and unless he runs across a judge who is able to make a reputation for himself, uh, it's doubtful Duggan will get in too much hot water for a marijuana possession charge. Iron Sheik with a cocaine possession charge could be in deeper trouble. Remember one thing though, when it comes to wrestling, Never say never. I know you disagree with a lot of what Meltzer has written over the years, but that last sentence, remember one thing though, when it comes to wrestling, never say never. You can probably, well, even a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes. Oh, um, but, uh, you know, I think that the, the hardest thing for Duggan in this entire situation was letting his dad down. Sure. Cause Jim, oh my God. And his dad was one of those, if you were ever going to have a police chief in your town, you, you would have wanted Mr. Duggan, chief Duggan. Uh, he was so cool. Um, kind as the day is long class and just, a, you know, like a, he was basically Andy Griffith and he would, just take care of shit. And Jim just had so much respect and loved his dad so much. I think that the, the hardest thing out of all of it was he felt that he embarrassed his dad and that that was hard for him to deal with and, and having to, um, just, you know, dealing with his dad. I know that hurt him. I know that that was something that everything else. I think Jim being a man can sit there and say, you know, I fucked up. I did this. I did that and, and accept it. But I think it kind of hurt him inside that he might think that his dad might think less of him, but you know, dads are dads and our kids can fuck up and you're always going to forgive them and love them. But that was a hard part for him. Let's run our final time out today to talk about money. 
I'm talking to you. If you haven't yet gone to SaveWithConrad.com, get yourself a quick quote right now. I'm telling you, you'll be glad you did. We have routinely helped our podcast listeners save tens of thousands of dollars worth of unnecessary interest. And you can do it too. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. In fact, if I can't save you money, I won't waste your time. Lately, we've been able to help some of our listeners get rates in the twos and threes. And when you hear that, you know, you're overpaying when it comes to things like your second mortgage, your home equity line of credit, credit card debt, or even your current home loan, especially if you're in a 30 year loan. And if you're in a 30 year loan, I really want you to do me this one favor today. Take your monthly payment and listen, you know it by heart. Take your monthly payment and multiply it by 360. I know you got to go find a calculator. You've got one on your phone where you're probably listening to this show right now. Just pull it out. Do this one favor for me. Listen, you trust my match recommendations. Why wouldn't you take a look at this? Take your monthly payment, multiply it by 360. That's how many payments you're making in a 30 year loan. That big, scary number. That's what we call the total of payments. And that's what you're actually paying for your house. You see, most people think what they're paying for the house is whatever they paid the guy who lived there before them. No, no, no. That's not what you're paying. That's what the bank paid him. Now, the number you see in your calculator, that's what you're paying the bank. It's too damn much. Keep more of your own money, get out of debt faster, shorten your term, reduce your interest rate. And I'm telling you, your monthly payment is more affordable than you ever thought possible. We routinely have this conversation with podcast listeners where they say, oh, I've checked into a 15 year loan. I can't afford that, man. You can't afford not to think about how old you will be 30 years from now, dude, that is unreal compared to 15 years from now. And when you put that in perspective of how old will I be when I pay my house off, you realize, man, Houston, we got a problem. Let me show you how to get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments, because here's the thing. You're not where you were when you first bought your house. You were worried about movers and hanging TVs and ordering a new couch and getting blinds and trying to save up for a fence. It's business as usual right now. Let's get out of debt and let's do it fast. And maybe it's not business as usual. Maybe you're a little strapped for cash. Keep more of your own money by getting rid of all your credit card debt and skipping your next two house payments. We have helped so many podcast listeners in the last six or eight weeks, say five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you get to skip your next two house payments. I'm saying no payments in May, no payments in June and come July, you could be seven, five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. But the real savings is by shortening your term. And we have helped countless listeners save more than a hundred thousand dollars worth of unnecessary interest. How much can you save? Find out right now for free at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh yeah, we're licensed in more than 40 states. Run the numbers right now. I'm telling you, you'll be glad you did. It's savewithconrad.com. Yeah, I can't imagine, you know, that's got to be uh, pretty humbling. All the uh, articles that were written, by the way, quote the arresting officers uh, and who say that uh, Duggan was, quote, really polite and cooperative. So... Yeah, it's uh, it's a shame that, that all of this went down the way it did. Jim has said that he and Sheik weren't really friends. He just happened to give him a ride that day. And Jim did acknowledge he had some marijuana under the seat and he did say they were drinking beers. So when they're pulled over, the cop tells them they're going to have to uh, ticket them for the beer, but then he smelled the marijuana 
and Jim told him he had a small amount under the seat and they cuff him. And then they take Sheik out of the car. Of course, they find the three grams of cocaine. He's also arrested. They work that night and he calls his wife and tells her about the arrest, but he doesn't think anybody knows about it. And, uh, Jim said, uh, the next call was to his dad or from his dad rather. And his dad chewed him out, but was supportive. And then Jim calls Vince McMahon and Vince was quiet. And then says, Jim, what have you done to us? And Jim said, I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed. Whatever you do, I understand. And Vince said, turn in your tickets and go home. Meaning his airplane tickets. Uh, you're fired. And Jim's gone on record as saying that Jake unsuccessfully tries to smooth things over for him. And he winds up calling him back and saying, Hey man, you're screwed. And then, uh, his next calls to dusty roads about maybe trying to get with the NWA and set something up. But before he winds up getting a meeting with dusty, someone from the office in the WWF calls and says, Hey, just gonna just lay low for a bit and we'll find out a, a way to bring you back. But a lot of people, Jim included, think that he was never back on track, at least with Vince, that maybe once upon a time, Vince saw Jim Duggan and his character and size and personality as someone who could be a bigger part of the world wrestling federation and their expansion here. And Jim, in fact, says he thinks he was being groomed for the championship. And back then. There was only really the intercontinental title or the world title for a single star. But as we know, Duggan never won either one of those with the company. Do you think that perhaps when this happened, Vince lost confidence in Duggan and felt like it might be risky and just didn't feel like he could trust him with, uh, with that sort of push. Well, you know what I'm going to say about the championships is that Duggan didn't need a championship. I do think that especially in the beginning for Duggan to come back, there's a bit of a trust issue. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. You've got to kind of come back, take, take baby steps uh, to get where we want to go. And look, I mean, the fact that he brought him back and, and put him right into a program says a whole lot. So, you know, it wasn't that bad. Do you think, though, had this not happened, that perhaps there could have been a big singles run for Duggan working on top? Maybe not in the Hogan spot, but maybe when Hogan was away making movies or maybe headlining the B shows, or maybe he could have felt like he could have trusted him a little more than what we actually got. Oh, I do. I definitely believe that. I, I don't know what, what that plan may have been. But I do know that Duggan had the potential to pull that off. Yes. It's remarkable to think about what could have been. I mean, and I know that, you know, you know him better than anybody, but it feels like over the years, once Vince sort of makes his mind up about where you are, that's sort of where you are. And there are certainly exceptions that could, that could be cited where he maybe changed his mind or came around. But by and large, do you think that's fair that when Vince sort of has in his mind's eye where you are, that's, I mean, that's where you're going to be. But that can always be changed. And, you know, that's up, that's up to you, the talent and to, to change it and make it happen. Well, it's just interesting to think, man, what could have been, because, you know, we never see him work with Hogan on top. Certainly there's some tag situations here or there where Hogan would give him a little bit of a rub, but. 
boss man got to work on top against Hogan and, uh, Akeem did and, and Duggan didn't get that opportunity, but maybe could have been the guy to sort of fill in who knows, especially, you know, when you look at his size, you could see how Vince would be enamored with that. Uh, Jim starts back working with King Harley race. So, I mean, Hey, when you do get to come back working with Harley race, uh, that's not a bad consolation prize at all. Is it? No. And, and that was, it was a good story and it was something that, you know, put him, put him back on the road, put him in a program and got him going. The 87 slammy awards. And what an iconic show that was. we got to cover that sometime. Duggan is presented, uh, or is presenting the nominees for best ring apparel on stage. And then there's a shoving match between him and Harley race who wins the award. And they wind up fighting all over the building, going backstage and in different parts of the building. And Jim says that Harley took a live chicken by the head and started hitting Jim with it. And of course it accidentally killed the chicken and uh, they eventually prove that allegedly they eventually reach the back of the main stage and they're, uh, interrupting another award presentation and gorilla has to step in and separate them. Sort of a fun deal here. Uh, the King Harley well, race. Talk to me about this. Oh God. Well, this was my baby. Um, it was a Slammy awards. We had gone to Atlantic city to Caesars and it was God, like five days of rehearsals and laying it out choreography for the dances and the, and the, uh, live musical numbers and things of that nature. So this was a major deal because they fought all over uh, the backstage of, of Caesars there. So it was going through the, the women's dressing room and the catering and the food fight. And then eventually the thing was that they would, we had a big screen that had been up there all night. And then eventually when the time was right, they bust through the screen and they fight onto the stage. Well, we only had one screen that was going to be gone through. And we were only going to do it one time in the second show. We recorded two shows. It was the Saturday Night Live principle that you you do two shows and you pick the best of the two shows to air. So the first show, they were not to go through the, the screen. And we had done all of our other shit, and these guys are covered in food and all this other crap. And I'm standing there, and uh, it's like we'd already gone through when we actually do record it, here's what's going to happen. And I'm standing on the other, on the opposite end. They were supposed to go in front of the screen and battle out for the first show. And then the second show we'd actually break through and they're on the opposite end. And I look up and they're bursting through the screen, not in front of it, through it. And I'm like, what the fuck? And Harley said, I thought you told us to go through to go. I said, I did, but in front of the screen. Remember we were going to do the screen the second time because we've done it so many times. I didn't know the first from the second to the fifth. 
And um, yeah, I got my ass chewed out pretty good on that one. Because they were all, everybody's out there. Thank God we had cameras rolling and everything was there. But, uh, and the talent went with it. I think it was Jesse and Monsoon out there. And they went with it and reacted beautifully to it. But yeah, that was kind of a fuck up. The Slammy Awards. So well, much fun. This sort of hardcore backstage brawl, this is ahead of its time. I mean, we would see this a lot, a lot later, a generation later, but. We don't see much more of, of Duggan and Harley. I mean, they work a handful of house shows together, but there's no like long-term plan that sort of winds down after the slammies. Why is that? Well, it was, I think that's about the time that Harley was, was getting ready to retire. So Harley, you know, Harley had, uh, issues, medical issues that it was best for him not to be full-time anymore. And it was time for Harley to take a break, move on. Let's talk about Royal Rumble. It feels like all is forgiven here. It's January 24th, 1988 cops Coliseum, Hamilton, Ontario. And, uh, he's going to come in at number 13. There's only 20 entrants here, but he's going to eliminate Danny Davis, Nikolai Volkov. And lastly, his former UWF rival, the one man gang to win the match. So even though there's been a lot of talk of, you know, he didn't quite get the push that he could have before working with Harley race. And then eventually winning the first Royal Rumble. Pretty decent little push for Mr. Duggan here. Absolutely. And, you know, Duggan was the perfect guy at the time because not being a, a champion or anything like that, it was, he was an over baby face and it was a feel good moment, special for USA. And when you look at the possible winners of the damn thing, it was a nice little boost for Duggan. From there, Jim finds himself in the world title tournament for WrestleMania four. Of course, he loses to Ted DiBiase in the first round. Andre, the giant is involved in the finish of that match and it plants the seeds of an upcoming feud between the two. Why does somebody in the back think this is a good idea? You know, Duggan is not exactly to the Andre superstar level. Um, and maybe in a traditional sense, you want Andre to work with a guy who can sort of fly around for him a little bit. That's not really Duggan either. Did Andre pick this or what do you remember about pairing these two together? Well, it was shit. I think it's a great idea because it's doing more for Hacksaw Duggan at this point. Andre had been through Hogan and now it was an opportunity for Andre to make someone else. And that's how this program was looked at by someone being able to compete with the giant and stand up to him was, was a major deal. So Duggan going in with the giant, the whole thing was designed to get, get hacksaw Jim Duggan over. And you want to go out there (laughs) and be brutalized by Andre every night and and stand there and Harley and Harley Andre like Duggan. So Andre was happy to, to go out and work with Duggan and make him look good and be the guy to slay the beasts. It's worth mentioning. They did work together during Jim's brief run in Hawaii back when Duggan was wrestling as the convict and, uh, Jim says they got along great and he felt like Andre liked working him. Eventually Jim's come, Jim's going to come down to the ring during one of Andre's matches and challenge him. Andre winds up attacking. Uh, Jim, but Jim ends up knocking Andre out with the two by four. 
and Andre would later interfere in Jim's match against Hercules on Saturday night's main event. Number 16. I got to mention it's a pretty cool deal. We've never really seen Andre quote unquote, knocked out cold like this. So Andre clearly liked Jim or that would not have been a spot he would have done. Right. Absolutely. And, and Andre had choked Duggan so hard. I remember Duggan busting his mouth wide open and just spitting up all kinds of blood and shit. Um, but it was worth it in the end. And there's a nice little Easter egg in there somewhere. I haven't seen it in years. I just remember it because I was scared for my life. We had gone down when Andre was coming to and to get Andre from, and I was in a, I was a suit to go down and get involved in the melee and Andre about killed me just missed with a kick that probably would have sent me into the eighth row, but I was terrified. Bruce, this feud sort of gets blown off without there being a pay-per-view singles match that would have been unheard of in a more modern era. But back then you weren't always driving for pay-per-view, but you would give them a tease of some sort of big interaction like this on TV, but the real money was in the house show business, right? Absolutely. That's what you were working for. You know, the big pay-per-views were, were great and, and we did that, but it was all about the live events. And, and we certainly got to see our fair share of that. Uh, once that feud starts to wind down, Jim's in a very brief feud with Dino Bravo and at the survivor series in 88, Jim would team with Jake Roberts, Ken Patera, Scott Casey, and Tito Santana to face Andre, the giant Dino Bravo, Harley race, Mr. Perfect and Rick rude. Holy shit. What a heel team that is. Uh, Jim doesn't eliminate anyone and finds himself disqualified when he hits Bravo with the two by four. At the uh, Royal Rumble 89, Jim would team with the Hart Foundation to defeat Bravo and the Fabulous Rougeos in a two out of three falls match. Dino coming up twice here. I got to mention this past week, we saw the Dark Side of the Ring documentary about Dino Bravo. Did you have a chance to see that? Yeah, I, I did. It, I, I couldn't watch the whole thing because I don't like reading my programming. Um, so it was a little difficult to follow. It was a little bit too much French Canadian for me. And, and, uh, so I can't say that I saw the whole thing. It was a little difficult to watch. Talk to me about Dino Bravo though. It's been, uh, one of the more famous stories in wrestling, his demise, that what's the theory you heard that you sort of grew up believing these last 20 or 30 years? You know, I don't know that, I mean, other than what obviously took place and that he was essentially assassinated in his own home. So, you know, it tells you a couple of things that he probably knew whoever did it and that it was personal. So I don't know. Cause I wasn't around Dino a lot. It wasn't Dino. Wasn't somebody that I went and hung out with very nice man, but, uh, you know, we all heard what everybody else heard that he was involved with the wrong people and something bad must have happened for him to be basically assassinated in his own home. It was definitely a shock. Yeah. To say the least, uh, Jim would then briefly be in a feud with bad news Brown and they would wrestle at WrestleMania five and the match ends in a double DQ bad news. Brown is somebody we don't talk about a ton here on the show. How legit was uh, Bad News Brown, the former Bad News Allen? Oh, he was super legit. He was on the judo team in the Olympics. And Alan Quage 
was his name, and he was about as tough as tough come. I saw him um, go after a guy with who went in and into his bag and took out a knife that was, you know, like the Arabian movies, not like the total sword, but kind of the mid-sized swords. Yeah. You see, I swear the guy had a knife that big, and <laughs> this guy's got the knife trying to wield it at Alan, and Alan's just walking right towards him, ain't backing up a bit. And thank God people got there in time before we found out it was going to happen, but there was absolutely zero backup in Bad News Alan in real life. May 13th, 1989, Jim would beat King Haku to become the new king of the WWF. So, you know, he wins the 88 Royal Rumble and then in 89 beats Haku to become the new king. What'd you think of, uh, King Duggan? I guess this is like an unofficial championship of sorts. First Harley race had it. Then Haku. Now Haku loses it here to Duggan. We know eventually it's going to become the macho king. Talk to me about this early incarnation of the king here. It was an evolution of the gimmick and it was an evolution of hacksaw Jim Duggan to, okay, he's a tough guy. He does all of these things and, and just let's put this title on him for lack of a better term for a while and become King Duggan. And he was a, a benevolent King. Ho! A benevolent King. Uh, a few weeks later on Saturday night's main event, King Duggan gets a shot at the intercontinental title against Rick rude. Jim wins by count out. So the title doesn't change. So essentially rude retains at SummerSlam though. This is one of the more memorable moments for Duggan on pay-per-view here. He's going to team up with demolition and he wears a big demolition mask to the ring. But the fun thing is he's also got his face painted and he's even got his two by four decorated. He was, uh, he was a walking, talking gimmick in this match. Was he not? Absolutely. Thank God. They Just beat, to say the least. They beat the massive team of Andre, the giant big boss man and Akeem. There's some beef on that side of the ring. My friends, uh, Jim would hit Akeem with a two by four and, uh, then smash would pin him in September of that. How'd that year, two by four feel? Probably pretty bad. Well, I, anyway. I'll ask dad next time I see the Alabama dream, uh, in September, Jim loses the uh, King of the ring title or the King of the WWF rather to Randy Savage and Randy becomes the King. Of course, uh, sensational Sherry becomes queen Sherry. I always loved macho King survivor series, 1990. They captain teams against each other. Jim's team is going to consist of the four by fours. That's himself, Brent Hart, Ronnie Garvin, and Hercules taking on Savage's King's Court, which is, of course, Randy and Greg Valentine, Dino Bravo, and Earthquake. In the match, Jim would pin Greg Valentine, but then he's counted out when he starts to chase Sherry outside of the ring. Randy, Bravo, and Earthquake wind up being the sole survivors of the match. And then on Saturday night's main event, the 25th edition of January 1990, Randy would pin Duggan, and this essentially ends their feud. Normally, the, uh, the good guy comes out on top, but here... Uh, it feels like, uh, well, we're certainly going to favor Savage more than Duggan. Savage gets the win. It's appropriate. They briefly rekindled the feud with Dino Bravo, which culminates between, uh, uh, the two at a match at WrestleMania six, Duggan wins there. 
And then Jim forms uh, a team with a, a newly turned babyface, Nikolai Volkov, and they beat the Orient Express at SummerSlam 90. What's the thinking here? Nikolai is the perennial heel, and now he's going to have a change of heart. Talk to me about this. Well, Nikki was on the backside of his career, and I think that people during this time, it was we weren't in the Cold War anymore, and it's time for Nikki to see the light of day. And he, he understood how America had helped him and how he had the freedom that he couldn't enjoy in Russia. And he got a fresh, new, nice character baby face in Nikolai Volkov. And what better person to essentially crown him and deem him an American than the all-American hacksaw Jim Duggan. Makes perfect sense to me. Let's keep it rolling here. Uh, the team doesn't last very long. Jim quickly returns to singles competition. He starts a very brief feud with the world champion, Sergeant slaughter, and he even gets a world title match against Sarge in the February 1st edition of main event. Of course, Jim wins by DQ, which means Sarge would retain the title. Uh, I guess this makes sense. I mean, if you're looking for, you know, slaughter to get more heat as an Iraqi sympathizer. You let him beat up the all American flag waving stars and bars or stars and stripes, rather Jim Duggan, right? Absolutely. Before that damn all American Hulk Hogan can get to him. Let's uh, keep it rolling here and talk about what's next because there is, uh, well, you know, Slaughter's going to lose the belt to WrestleMania or to Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania seven, but then he turns babyface. Of course he sees the light and now he's an American again, and he'll start teaming with Jim Duggan quite a bit at the 90 survivor series. We see Jim Duggan, Sergeant Slaughter, Kerry Von Erich and Tito Santana. What a team that is taking on Colonel Mustafa, Hercules Skinner and the berserker. Eh, maybe not so much on the other side. Duggan winds up pinning Berserker to win the match and make his entire team the survivors of the match. And Jim has said somewhere in here there were plans for him and Sars to get a tag title run, but it, it quickly winds up being changed and the Legion of Doom get the title push. Do you think if uh, LOD hadn't switched teams that maybe Jim and Sars could have had a run here as tag champs? Uh, possible, but I can't say that I ever heard those plans definitively. WrestleMania eight feels like a fever dream. We've got Jim teaming with Sergeant slaughter, big boss man, and Virgil to take on the nasty boys, the Mountie and the repo man. Uh, and not long. Well, I wasn't there. Not long after that, Sarge pretty much retires from wrestling. And now Jim is back to being a singles wrestler. And for the rest of 92, he's mostly working undercards, but not really involved in any angles, not receiving much of a push at all. His next big push would come in 1993 when he starts a feud with Yokozuna or as Jim referred to him, Yokozuma. Uh, Yoko's still new to the company being groomed to be the new top heel. And I guess if we're going to push that, he's this big, mean, nasty foreign heel from Japan, it makes sense to put him against, uh, Mr. America himself, you know, the flag bearer, just like we had for Sergeant Slaughter. They wind up having a match and it was promoted by claiming that no one had knocked Yokozuna down, even though Yoko had fallen off his feet shortly before at the 93 Royal rumble match and the steps of the match. But are, no one knocked him down in one-on-one -on -one competition. Okay. And 42 people in the ring, knocking a guy down. That doesn't count. 
The steps are if Duggan were to knock Yoko off his feet, Duggan wins. This is the February 6th edition of superstars and Duggan wins after knocking Yoko's Yoko down completely, but then he's attacked after the match receives four bonsai drops and, uh, he's put on the shelf for four months. And Jim has said that Yoko just missed on the drop and broke two of his ribs. Says it wasn't Yoko's fault. It was just one of those things that happened. Do you remember Duggan being legitimately injured by one of the squashes? Yeah, I do. It was, uh, Yoko kind of getting his timing down on that. And the sad thing is, is out of anybody that was ever injured by Yoko, that it was, that it was hacksaw there. And that was kind of a bummer. It really is. Um, it makes sense for them to be together. I, I, I assume just because of the, uh, the American piece, when Jim comes back, he's put into a very brief angle where he's uh, working with the intercontinental champion, Sean Michaels, certainly an interesting pairing, a big styles clash between the two, but Sean was known for being able to ha- get a good match out of pretty much anybody. What can you tell us about this pairing? It does feel, I don't know, a little different Duggan and Sean. It's definitely off and probably more than anything, it was as much, I hate to say it, a match for match sake and looking at Sean to go out there and, and have that great match. And you get to see what Duggan can do. And I think both delivered on their part more than anything. They had a match on the May 3rd raw for the title, which Jim wins by count out when Sean runs through the crowd. And the following week on raw, they have a rematch, but this time it's to prevent Sean from running through the crowd again. They do a lumberjack match. And for those who don't know, cause we don't see these all the time. So there's a ton of wrestlers surrounding the ring. And so if one of the participants of the match leaves the ring, the wrestlers on the outside or lumberjacks, as they're called in this situation, throw the guys back in the ring. Well, Sean winds up winning this by DQ and that's pretty much the end of the feud. And then from there, Jim's in the king of the ring tournament. Uh, the very first one on pay-per-view in June of 93. And he defeats Papa Shango to qualify for the tournament. But at the pay-per-view, he's pinned by Bam Bam Bigelow and then eliminated. And after this, he would be programmed with the world champion Yokozuna on house shows throughout the summer. But of course, Yoko wins all of those and retains. But he winds up leaving the company not too terribly long after this. And I guess it's worth mentioning that Hulk Hogan is finishing up here at King of the ring and Jim Duggan is one of his pals. So when Hogan winds up working with WCW, ultimately Duggan is in tow and he's going to wind up working for WCW. And Jim says during this time in the WWF, if you didn't work, you didn't get paid and WCW offered him a guaranteed contract. So he took it. And this is the time when a lot of guys are sort of jumping ship, you know, not just Hulk Hogan, but eventually macho man and the honky tonk man and the big boss man and main gene and Bobby Heenan. And we see so many of these iconic WWF characters jump ship to WCW. How does Vince take it when it sort of comes to an end here for Jim Duggan and the world wrestling federation? You know, yeah, it's. Like, kind of like we took everybody else. It, it was hard in the beginning, but the reality of the situation was that this was during the time that Turner was able to offer guys these contracts where they didn't work. They still got paid. And with us, you got paid when you worked. So it was 
the beginning of the battle, so to speak. And Duggan was one. I know that was definitely a selling point for Hull, but that, hey, guys, you're going to get a guaranteed contract. You're going to know what you're going to make. The only difference was is that their what they could make was capped per their contract. And ours, you made what you made, no matter what it was. Um, so it was just a difference in philosophy, and times were changing. So I don't think anybody blames Duggan for going. He, he did what he needed to do for his family. As we mentioned, he uh, he goes to WCW with all of his his old pals. He winds up becoming the United States champion in 1994, beating some guy named stunning Steve Austin. He loses it to Vader at Starcade 94. Did you keep up with Duggan at all during his WCW years? Or is this one of those deals where he's a work friend, but when y'all don't work together, you just sort of lose touch. We did kind of lose touch, but every once in a while I would see Duggan and always friendly. And I've always considered Duggan a friend and uh, no matter where you were, your personal feelings, and you've got to, you know, you got to remember that, that business is business and personal is personal. And I've always had a good relationship with Jim, no matter where he's been. And I would see him from time to time when he was at WCW and to me, it's just Jim Duggan. September 7th, 1998, Duggan announces live on WCW Saturday night that he's been diagnosed with kidney cancer. He undergoes successful surgery and because the cancer was detected very early, no chemotherapy was needed, but he doesn't wrestle again until April of 99. He makes his WWE return 12 years after he originally left in 2005. He appears on the raw homecoming show on October 3rd. He and other legends would attack Rob Conway after Conway came to the ring and insulted him. He's also one of the legends available for fans to select him to team with Eugene in a match at taboo Tuesday to face the team of Conway and Tyson Tomko, Jimmy Snuka winds up winning the vote. Uh, he returns to the WWE after the Royal rumble with a message from John Cena to Lita after edge had lost the title saying, "Ho!" and, uh, Duggan and edge then sort of sharp start a short feud, which culminates with a match on raw, which of course edge wins. And then he becomes a mentor and tutor for Eugene and even forms a brief tag team. He starts working on heat, makes a few appearances with Eugene and the Highlanders. And then on the November 6th, Raw, Duggan and Eugene would face the spirit squad in a match with the stipulation being the losing team would disband and never team up again. Of course, Jim takes the pin and then Eugene snaps and attacks Duggan and they start a brief feud against each other, which of course Eugene wins. And then Jim leaves for a bit, sort of a fun who to thunk it. One last hurrah for Jim Duggan here. How did this come to be? It just, again, you know, time and Duggan being available. And from time to time, Jim would reach out and say, Hey, I'm out here. And Brian Gewertz, I believe it was Brian who actually came up with the suggestion to use Duggan. And it's nice to have that nostalgia and to be able to bring a character like that because that character. I think you could bring him out today and the audience would go crazy. So it was an, a, just a long lasting, enduring character. That was a lot of fun to write for. Jim leaves for a while, comes back uh, around new year's, re- new year's resolution, 2007. He's going to team with super crazy in a tag team turmoil match 
to determine the number one contenders. Of course they lose the January 15th raw. He's dragged out by rated RKO and beaten up because they didn't want Jim teaming with Shawn Michaels in an upcoming handicap match they had against Sean on March 5th, Jim would face Chris masters in a master lock challenge. Of course, he's unable to break the hold. Um, over the next few months, Jim actually wrestles a few matches on heat. And when he returns to raw in July, he's teaming up with the Sandman to feud with William Regal and Carlito short lived though. Uh, and then Duggan finds himself working some matches on heat and on, on the August 6th edition, uh, he winds up being in a WWE dating game, a parody of the TV show, of course, and Duggan loses when Maria chooses Ron Simmons. On the December 31st Raw, he loses a Royal Rumble qualifying match to Umaga. And on the March 17th, 08 Raw, he's in a 17 on two handicap match. That's <laughs> 17 on two. It's 17 members of the Raw roster against John Cena and Randy Orton. Uh, after Cody Rhodes was eliminated, all the remaining Raw wrestlers attacked Cena and Orton, resulting in a DQ. And then Jim is a part of a 20 fan, 24 man battle Royal held right before WrestleMania 24 aired to determine the number one contendership for the ECW championship. Of course, that match is won by Kane in the summer of 08. He starts a brief feud with Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase after Rhodes and DiBiase tried to convince Duggan to retire and let the young talent run the show. Soon after Duggan would come out and announce that he would take. Rhodes and DiBiase's advice and retire, but Jerry Lawler stops him by convincing him to stay. And that leads to a match on the August 25th raw. Uh, of course, Duggan and Lawler lose on the October 20th raw Duggan would confront Santino and Beth Phoenix during one of Morella's promos about his three possible opponents at cyber Sunday, which is Roddy Piper, Goldust, and honky tonk man upset at being interrupted. Morella took off all his clothes, getting ready to fight Duggan. And then in, instead, Morella instructed Phoenix to throw clothes in Duggan's face, which distracts him. He smashes a guitar over Duggan's head. Jim pops up very briefly on the 800th episode of raw in November during a Kung Funaki in ring dance segment. This, this has Brian written all over it. It's like, hey. everybody was Kung Funaki. Let's fast forward. Indeed. The, uh, April 2nd, 2011, that's when Jim is inducted into the WWE hall of fame, of course, by his old pal, Ted DiBiase, you're not with the company at the time, but it's a special moment when somebody gets inducted into the hall of fame and who better than his old pal, Ted DiBiase, who he just drew tons of money with in mid South and really his whole journey in professional wrestling. DiBiase was somehow a big part of it. Probably a great honor to be honored that way and have one of your old pals do you the honors. It, absolutely. And you know, it was during that time. Uh, well, actually a little bit after that, that Jim had come down and I was in TNA at that time. And he was just looking for, for anything to do. And unfortunately we didn't have anything at the time, but it was, uh, I never, I remember feeling so bad because I had seen, I had seen him that day and he was sitting in the stands and, and hanging out and I didn't know that he was waiting to talk to me. 
and I felt absolutely fucking horrible because Hogan finally came over and told me and says, Hey, he goes, did you talk to Doug? And I said, yeah, I said, hello. It was great to see him. He says, oh, he says yeah, he's here to talk to you. And, and Jim just being the, the consummate gentleman more than anything, didn't, didn't want to interrupt me. And I was like, fuck, he could interrupt me any, you know, anytime. I, that was, that was insane. But over the years, um, when I would go to the, autograph signings and, th and things like that. Uh, if Hacksaw Jim Duggan was there, uh, one way or another, we always got together and, and his, his wife, Deborah, um, just sweetest woman, you know, God makes them and pairs them. And, and, and those two are just as much in love with each other today. Got beautiful children as they were when they met. I remember when they met, um, just, Great, great people, but Duggan is one of those, and you know me at those. I, I try and hide a lot of times. Yeah. Um, and but if Duggan's there, I go. I go find Duggan, and if I don't find him, Deborah and, and him usually find me. So um, that's Duggan's got a very, very special place in my heart, and I think he's one of the one of the best and greatest that's ever been. He pops up a few more times in 2012 and, uh, he actually picks up a win by DQ over Jack Swagger on the March 4th, 2013 raw. I guess that's like a, uh, a raw rewind or raw reunion. One of those throwback raws. And then in 2014, I think a lot of fans got to meet sort of the man behind the character when the WWE network aired legends house. what do you think of Jim on that show? Well, again, you got two of my favorite people that became friends during that, which was Duggan and Roddy Piper. And when they got out of it, Roddy and I were talking, and he says, you know, he goes, I, I never, I never really knew Duggan. Uh, you know, he's a guy, he was there sometimes when I was there, then he wasn't, we passed. And he goes, well, I got to know this guy in the house. What a fucking good guy. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> like, um, I, I don't know. Uh, but they became, they became good friends in that damn house. And I was shocked that they had, that they hadn't hung out before because very similar personalities and, and, but yet different all at the same time. What do you think his, uh, his legacy is going to be in professional wrestling? I think that, uh, you know, Duggan's going to be that two by four wheeling all American and for, you know, for me, I, I just think Jim's going to go down as an all American hero in the wrestling business because that's who he was and that's who he is in real life. Let's, uh, let's do some questions. We, we, we went to Twitter at Pritchard show. So we've got an upcoming something to wrestle. We're going to discuss the one and only hacksaw Jim Duggan have a question, drop them in the replies here. We've got some fun stuff coming your way, including next week. And I'm really excited about this backlash show five. And, uh, sometime by the end of the month, in these last few days, we're going to revisit a Saturday night's main event from April of 1990 that I just watched that man, I'm fired up for, uh, and then on May 8th, we'll be back with Tito Santana. But first let's get through some of these hacksaw Jim Duggan questions. We'll do them rapid fire. Bruce, are you ready? I am ready. Levi Betts wants to know how many hoes did Hacksaw use during his time in the WWE? Ho! 
Is there a proper number of O's and Ho? I know that sounds funny, but I think Ric Flair has decided there are five O's and Woo. Uh, so the, the official Woo has five O's. How many, how many O's are in the official Ho's? Four, because if it were five, then it would be Ho! Or, <laughs> Michael Eldridge wants to know where did Hacksaw get his two by fours? Two by fours are us. It's right next to Lumber BS and shit. Was there any uh, consideration of turning Hacksaw heel and being sort of anti patriotic like Sergeant Slaughter? I don't think that, you know what? I mean, kind of like. Um, Cena and Hogan and people like that. I, Hogan did it and did it very successfully. Obviously, I don't know if Duggan they would have accepted him as a heel because the human being is just so nice. No, I see that. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, and I don't, I don't think we've ever really broke this down, but this '80s group of legends that Vince makes larger than life stars. A lot of them came from bill Watts. And so they take a garage, a guy with, um, pull on boots and karate pants and put him in neon tights and lace up snakeskin boots and give him a snake in the bag to carry to the ring. And they take the million dollar man or they take Ted DiBiase and slap a sequin suit on him and, uh, give him maybe one of the more prolific gimmicks of the eighties. We're going to take uh, another member of the rat pack here and we're going to paint him up like a clown. Matt Bourne is going to become doink hacksaw. Jim Duggan just gets tough guy and USA and ho and a two by four. He sort of won in that deal. Did he not? Uh, I think they all won, frankly. Good Lord, million dollar man, Ted DiBiase walking around with limitless cash and traveling first class and limos everywhere. Matt Bourne is the doink gimmick was off the chart and Duggan being Duggan to me, every one of them won. I'm just saying it's weird that, you know, a guy like Coco Ware crushing in, in, in Texas or not Texas, but Tennessee and people such a fan of his work. We're going to spice him up, make him more colorful, give him a bird and everybody sort of had a gimmick and it was, uh, maybe not occupational gimmicks like we would get to several years later, but they needed something that made their character stand out. Talk to me about how this came together for hacksaw, where it's just blue tights, chant USA, yell ho and carry this board. Because that's all you needed with him and his personality as a human being and, and what he did in the ring and his promos were pure blue collar working class Americana. And that's who Jim Duggan was. So hacksaw Jim Duggan was just that turned up. There wasn't a lot of difference in it. Do you know Didn't what, need to be. Do you know where the two by four comes from? I mean, I know that, that we know where it came from beforehand, but Vince let him keep it going. Like when he's in the territory system, he would carry a two by four or calls himself hacksaw. Sometimes though, when Vince gets you, he wants you to do something totally different. Why did Vince, why was Vince okay with the two by four? Do you think? I don't think it needed to be tweaked. Some, you know, some didn't get tweaked. Some did, some didn't. 
What about uh, Ho and Tough Guy and all the other identifiable mannerisms? Is this anything from Creative Services, or is this all just Duggan trying to come up with something? And hey, we're going to stick with this. You know, again, don't fix what's not broken. And in that regard, Duggan did all of that, and it was so straightforward that in that in that time, it all worked. And there were little tweaks to it, but not a lot. It feels like something right out of Watts's territory for him to get in the corner and do the whole three point stance thing. Uh, what, do, what did Vince think of that? Uh, again, that was one of his signatures, but that shit, that was dug in long before he got to Watts. I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying it became something that was a big part, but I just, I bring that up because I feel like sometimes over the years, whenever. Jim Ross would talk about a guy's amateur background or where he played football. It feels like sometimes that annoyed Vince. So I wondered if him breaking out a three point stance would have been something that he would have said, uh, Jim, it's not football. Don't do that shit again. Well, no, it's a fine tackle. And that's something that Jim Duggan did. I think that the, the annoyance, as you say, or the disconnect was what I say is when you have a character that you're trying to sell the attributes of the character and being a four-time All-American or playing at East Tennessee Junior College uh, two and a half semesters of basketball um, doesn't fit. And that's, that's where the disconnect comes. And, and sometimes it's I – don't, I don't give a fuck that Undertaker played basketball in high school and college. I love The Undertaker. I want to be about The Undertaker character. So we're telling stories here and it's, it's fictional anyway. Sometimes, yes, we definitely, there's reality to it. You can expound on, uh, real credentials when it fits. Sometimes it just, just doesn't fit. Sometimes it does. Lenny Bakken writes, Duggan seems to have like have such a funny, happy go lucky type of guy. Uh, was this always the case behind the scenes? Was he as well liked by everyone or did he have detractors? Why does Link Bakken always get asked questions? Because uh, you give him all of your money. Good point. Um, Duggan was well liked in and out of the ring, without a doubt, and and that's who, in many respects, especially in later years, the guy that you saw on camera, and especially the guy you saw in the house, that's Duggan. Uh, three blind mice want to know, did Bruce ever have the pleasure of indulging in the wacky tobacco with Jim Duggan? His car stayed at my house. Um, we were friends. <laughs> there might've been a bong that, that remained in the, in the center, uh, seat of his vehicle from time to time. Um, what the hell do you think? Well, I think the question is sort of post arrest. Does Duggan swear off of it? And he wants to keep his nose clean, pardon the pun as much as possible. Or did he chalk a lot of that up to, uh, I'm just not riding with fucking cheek anymore. I think he was very careful after that. Yeah. Um, Adam wants to know, was there any heat with Andre after he head butted him in the face and busted his lip open? No, God, no. 
shit happens. You know, nearly every other question is about whether or not he sort of torpedoed his own career with the chic arrest and we'll never really know, but in a different alternate universe, if that arrest never happens, you think Duggan could have become WWF world champion at some point. I mean, did Vince see him as that level top baby face on the lunchbox on the cartoons type of character? Definitely. I don't know if champion, but yes, definitely is a top attraction without a doubt, hands down. And I think that Duggan, again, it speaks to the human being that he is, was able to come back from that and continue to have a great career. So yes, it sidelined him for a while, but he was able to, to pick it up and continue on. James Miranda writes, Duggan was advertised for the 93 Royal rumble, but didn't participate. Does Bruce remember why? I have no idea. Well, let's wrap this one up. Anything else you want to mention about, uh, Jim Duggan, the man, the character, the performer. I love the man. I love the character. And he was, uh, an awful lot of fun to hang out with and be around, uh, for all those years, happy and proud to call him a friend. But, uh, this was fun because it was all good stuff. In my opinion. Yes. We covered some bad stuff in his career, but I think he came out on the other side of it doing just fine and uh always look forward to to seeing him did you see his uh his little stint in wcw where he joined team canada what'd you think of that god i have absolutely no idea (laughs) well we hope you have an idea that you need to tune in next week to something to wrestle when we uh dig deep who booked that shit backlash 2005 but then the following week, man, we're going to have some fun. Uh, I'm really excited about the month of May. It's Tito Santana, the Frankie Kazarian special. Uh, but at some point on adfreeshows.com, we're going to sit down and watch an old episode of Saturday night's main event. Sorry for the uh, delay this week, but hopefully you guys enjoyed what we were able to drop on you this past Friday. If you haven't already, go check it out. Bruce and I watched the undertaker street come to an end at WrestleMania 30. And I listened to it back, man. We were having fun with that. It was a good show, and I hope you guys dug it. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. And I thank everybody for being patient uh, during these crazy times and us being able to do this on a Sunday. And with that, I say, Shakaka! Maybe Pasha Villa could get some Grubhub and sent over to the Casa. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Uh, hello. Hello, good afternoon. It's Fred there. This is Fred. Hi, Fred. This is Dave Silva with Save With Conrad. I'm making calls, talking to folks that we've been able to help. What made you come to Save With Conrad? Well, just listening to the show like I have been, uh, and... Now, was there anything uh, specific that Conrad said on the show that kind of triggered you to finally make that call? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the cost of a 30-year loan compared to a 15-year loan, he gave some numbers, and that's what really caught my attention. And once I did the math myself and I, you know, checking with other folks, it was, you know, something, you know, my wife and I had to do. Um, what was your favorite part about working with our team? 
everything was online. That made it real convenient. And then when we were ready to close, you know, they sent someone out to close at our house. So, you know, it was that made it just more convenient than uh, than I was expecting. Uh, the difference between dealing with the bank and dealing with Conrad's group is just day and night. Everything was just so much simpler, uh, real upfront, easy. I, I don't think there's anything that you can improve on. How much money were we able to save you during uh, with this refinance? Uh, I believe it was in the sum around $80,000. And I'm a little bit older, so, you know, looking at retirement, this hopefully will be paid off by the time I retire. So, you know, that would be something we won't have to worry about at our, at our uh, retirement age. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much That's money right. you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? Yeah, how many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.